ESPN Daily is presented by Supercuts, the smarter, easier way to get a haircut. It's not just any haircut. It's Supercuts. Kevin Von Valkenberg, you have been tracking the protagonist of the existential crisis that golf has been enveloped by over the last several days. You were with Phil Mickelson in London at the Live Golf Tournament, the first ever, which we're here to talk about. But we also just watched him give his first press conference here in America in months at the Country Club, the host of this week's U.S. Open in Brookline, Massachusetts. And my first question to you is just... Are you surprised that Phil Mickelson ditched his leather jacket? (laughs) Well, Pablo, in the vein of Phil Mickelson, the way he answered questions today, I'll say I respect your question. Uh, Just so much respect for it, but I think I'm going to not address that at the moment. I know that many of you have uh, strong, well, many people have strong opinions, emotions about my choice to uh, go forward with Live Golf. And uh, I understand... And I respect that. Well, I mean, it was such a thing because he shows up. He, he shows up looking like a midlife crisis in London, right? That is, which is appropriate, I suppose, for what golf is also battling with. But he shows up and his hair is slicked back and his leather jacket and he has a scruffy beard. How would you describe what Phil was looking and sounding like a couple days later here at the U.S. Open presser on Monday? A little more polished than we saw in London. You could tell in London he was going to take a full 10-second pause at times to decide how he was going to answer questions. I think you can see a lot of evidence of a lot of therapy uh, since he's been away. And he's mm. has pretty much come out and said that, uh, that not only has he been uh, in therapy to deal with some of his gambling addictions, but also to just sort of be a better, more focused, more present person. Well, I wanted to say that it's um, nice to be back. Nice to see you guys. Uh, it's been four months. It's been uh, it's given me an opportunity to spend time with loved ones and uh, continue some of the work therapy-wise on some of the deficiencies that I have, certainly, and as well as focus on best paths forward. I'm sure we're big fans of therapy on this pod here and of in course. general in life. So yes. I don't think uh, anything is that as a knock on Phil, but I think that... It's very clear that he is done being the sort of smart-alecky, freewheeling character that he once was. It is hard to shake the fact that a lot of this evolution has been spurred by the fact that he is the face of the Live Golf Tournament, right? Which is backed by the government of Saudi Arabia. Why is this tour such a huge deal that is obscuring everything. How would you begin to answer that at this point? Let's just start with the fact that the public investment fund of Saudi Arabia has around $600 billion in it. And that is just money that Saudi Arabia has earmarked for the purposes of transforming its country, in their words, sort of away from a dependency on oil and more towards being a more progressive society, They've made investments in Formula One, in WWE, in horse racing. They now have a controlling interest in Newcastle United and the Premier League. Golf is the latest step in that supposed evolution. And what that is essentially being described by human rights groups is sports washing, which is when you are essentially laundering your reputation geopolitically by using sports, by making people more comfortable with investing 
in your country business-wise. And so what Live Golf is basically saying, it's, it's not a regular sports league that would ever have to turn a profit or balance its books. It is just a sports league that is willing to spend $2 billion over the next four years to launder Saudi Arabia's reputation. How big a threat do you think the Live Tour is to the sport of golf, to the PGA Tour in specific? I try to sort of explain it like this to people who aren't golf nerds like myself. Imagine if another league started up, another basketball league, say in China or in Europe or somewhere, and they could take away the 50 best players in the NBA. So no Steph Curry, no LeBron James, no Joel Embiid, no even you know James Harden. What would that look like in terms of you as an NBA fan? You'd be pretty bored by some of the games. You wouldn't just immediately adopt the sort of new players. You'd feel kind of lost. You didn't know any of the storylines. You didn't know any of the drama. You were frustrated. That's what's potentially occurring with golf is, yes, those players, it seems like, who went to go play will probably still be able to play in the majors, the Masters, the U.S. Open, the PGA Championship, the Open Championship. Right, not regulated by the PGA Tour proper. Correct. The PGA Tour does not own or control any of those majors. But Phil is going to play live golf. He's, he said he's going to play in all the tournaments this year. He's going to play in all the tournaments next year. And whether he's able to ever play on tour again, I think we'll just have to be kind of determined going forward by the courts. And so that's why golf is, has a kind of like a boxing vibe to it at the moment where there are a lot of different competing interests and some people declaring themselves champions and some people getting mega rich. And all of that is going to shake out in a long, protracted, bitter, emotional fight over the next few years. In so many different ways, golf and boxing sit on the complete opposite ends of the cultural spectrum. In terms of socioeconomics, in terms of order, in terms of dress code, in terms of what counts as polite and impolite. Like in golf, it is considered rude to talk during someone's swing. But in boxing, you pay good money in the hopes that someone's swing winds up splashing you with blood. All of which is to say that the Civil War tearing apart the game of golf right now would still be dramatic for any sport. But for the staid PGA Tour and its country clubs, it is utterly unprecedented in style and in substance. With the flashy Live Golf League and its alleged blood money sparking open debates about whether anyone even has the moral high ground at all. So today, fresh from his trip to England, Kevin Van Valkenburg reads golf's moral compass, and he tells us where this fight is headed next. I'm Pablo Torre. It is Tuesday, June 14th. This is ESPN Daily. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. 
With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home some huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. So KVV, I want to ask you how your weekend went, but I feel like you're probably a little jet lagged. It's probably still something of a haze. So let's just start with the end of the tournament, I suppose, because Charles Schwartzel of South Africa, he is now forever the answer to the trivia question, who won the first edition of the Live Golf Invitational Series? Who who was the guy holding the trophy there at the end, funded by the government of Saudi Arabia? What was that scene like? Well, I've been in a lot of golf tournaments over my life, and I've heard a lot of roars. Uh, it, it was pretty tame. I don't want to say it was lifeless because there was a you know large crowd uh, gathered around, but it was certainly smaller than a regular PGA Tour event. It felt nothing like a major. It just never felt like there were any stakes involved other than dudes are playing for an enormous pile of cash. And that's the kind of weird, I think, lie of sports, right? Is if, it, if you don't tell me that there's some sort of stakes involved here, I don't care. Maybe the point is just to put it on and to use these guys as kind of human shields for their own sort of sports washing purposes. But right now, I don't think as a product that it's particularly compelling to watch. I could tell from many miles away, there was pyrotechnics, there was music, there was a nice gleaming trophy, there was Greg Norman, the CEO, the former golfer, of course, himself, who who said to the crowd, Kevin, he said, We did it for you. Because over the years, for 27 years, there's been a lot of obstacles put in our path. There's been a lot of dreams that have been tried to be squashed, but they couldn't squash us. And golf was always going to be the force for good out of all this. The force for good because the fans wanted this. I'll tell you what, Pablo, if you ever want to experience a journalistic whiplash, uh, talk to a human rights activist uh, the way I did uh, an author and sort of former Saudi Arabia citizen, Lena Alahafel. Her sister, Lujan, was uh, kidnapped by Saudi Arabian government officials and charged with terrorism for the crime of advocating that women be allowed to drive and that they end the male guardianship uh, rules, which basically say in Saudi Arabia that no woman can get a job, can get educated, can travel without the permission of her husband or father. So I talked to her on Signal for, I would say, 30 minutes or so. And then shortly after that, went to this trophy ceremony where people were spraying each other with $600 bottles of champagne. Yes, and and Schwartzel was receiving his $4.75 million for winning the individual and team titles. The largest prize, by the way, in the history of tournament golf. Yes, and one thing that she just sort of asked me to keep in mind is this idea that one of the things that keeps MBS Mohammed bin Salman, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, in power is the narrative that things are changing in Saudi Arabia. And, and she was very clear about if things kind of continue, if it the narrative of progress kind of goes, that there'll be more, you know, examples of like her sister or more examples of like what Washington Post columnist Jamal Khashoggi. Yeah, the whole MBS Saudi Arabia human rights violations aspect of the story, the gravely serious aspect of the story, the sports washing stuff, Kevin, for people who don't remember, the way that Phil Mickelson became the person at the forefront of that conversation, refresh our memory because it involves an unauthorized biographer, it involves him 
saying some very blunt things some very quiet parts out loud. So Phil has been for the last few years frustrated with the way that the PGA Tour was monetizing uh, things like media rights. Uh, if I had to guess, I would believe that some person talked to him about NFTs and told him that there was a lot of money on the table that he was not having access to because some of his most memorable moments couldn't be sold as NFTs because of the fact that the PGA Tour owned those media rights. That's how it works in every sport. You No player owns their own media rights. And so this became a huge contentious issue with Phil, in part because it seemed like he was having some financial issues. He sold his uh, personal plane. Uh, he didn't move to a place in Florida where he had purchased previously. I ended up selling that land instead of building there. A lot of things changed in Phil's life where it seemed like money was super important despite making an enormous amount of money on the course and off the course in his career. Yes, Alan Shipnuck wrote a biography about Phil Mickelson and all throughout the process of writing it over a couple of years, he kept asking Phil for an interview. Over and over, he'd sort of ask, I really would like to interview you for this. Phil finally called him and said, I want to talk about meteorites. I want to talk about uh, why I'm sort of interested in going to live golf. Phil explained that this is a once in a lifetime opportunity to leverage what live golf was offering with a chance to reshape the PGA Tour. And in doing so, he spoke uh, honestly about what Live Golf and the backers behind it was. He brought up Jamal Khashoggi. He called them scary motherfuckers. Yeah, Jamal Khashoggi, the Washington Post reporter, the journalist who was murdered by the Saudi government in Turkey. He decided then in his mind after this interview was released that all of this had been off the record. And the backlash about... Uh, this interview was so severe that he lost sponsorships with Callaway, with KPMG, with Amstel Light, with pretty much every single one of his sponsors. And you see him now, he's wearing just his own logo. The man once completely covered in logos is now adorned with only his own. Phil went into this wanting to reform the PGA and ended up being exiled, basically, for months. Or at the very least, that's what it seemed like from outside. Yes, and... Ultimately, he reemerged when uh, Live Golf finally announced its schedule, announced its field. He wasn't in it at first. Everyone was sort of wondering, is Phil really going to do it? Is he not? And it seemed like he just wanted to sort of, uh, you know, maybe be the, the story of the moment one more time. So uh, three days later, they finally announced that he was there. Then he showed up in London uh, and gave this first press conference where um, he said repeatedly, no one here condones human rights violations. I think he said that phrase four times. I don't condone human rights violations at all. I said earlier, I, I don't condone human rights violations. Nobody here uh, condones human rights violations. I don't know how else I can say it. I don't condone human rights violations. Nobody here does. How much was he paid to be there, Kevin? How much was he paid in totality here to be there? Nobody knows for sure, but uh, we asked him directly, is it true that you are getting $200 million to play for Live Golf? And he paused and said, I think that contract negotiations uh, and details should be private, but it's obvious that they're not. And that was his answer. So it wasn't uh, any kind of denial, and it seemed to be sort of a confirmation of what he was getting. And as you alluded to, Phil has now talked about how gambling was a major drain on both his personal relationships, his family life, and also on his bank account. 
And and so it seemed like money just was this like way too on the nose recurring theme as you saw it in London. Yes, uh, money was everywhere all around. I mean, Phil walked out to the OJs uh, for love of money. And it seemed almost like a trolling uh, thing that when he did it, uh, nobody knows kind of what motivates Phil in terms of to do certain things or to send certain messages to people, but that's kind of how uh, he is. He's cryptic, he's sly, he's goofy, he's, you know, charming. That's how, kind of a totality of Phil Mickelson has always been something that's kind of been a fascinating character in American sports. But we also discovered that Phil was definitively not alone here, right? He goes from being this pariah, exiled, trashed by all of his colleagues on the PGA Tour, more or less. And then who ends up joining him? Who are some of the names that end up coming over, crossing that aisle? Yeah, Dustin Johnson was probably one of the biggest names. Uh, you know, Charles Swartzel, who won the Masters in 2011. Louis Oosthuizen, who won the Open Championship in 2010. Uh, Ian Poulter, who's a Ryder Cup stalwart, Lee Westwood. There's a lot of, you know, pretty good, although mostly past their prime players who were willing to jump with him. And then all of a sudden, once the tournament started, Bryson DeChambeau decided to throw his hat in. Patrick Reed announced that he was joining. And I don't think that it's over. I think there are more guys who are probably eyeing the backlash and saying, you know what? I think I can stomach this. I think I'm willing to do this. No, it did feel, Kevin, like watching it from afar, that they all did a very golf thing. They took some grass, threw it in the air, and saw which way the wind is blowing. And it felt like a lot of these guys who are a mix of legitimate stars and also Rands, they decided that this was a controversy that they now, having watched Phil go through the whole cycle, that they now could stomach. Yeah, I think the guys who were in first really in some ways uh, took the brunt of the criticism, even though, you know, they did it in London. There was certainly like a bigger contingent uh, facing Phil when he came to the U.S. Open. But that initial volley was probably the hardest. And moving forward, I wouldn't be surprised if it gets less and less and less until it kind of becomes a non-issue. And that's what sports washing is. Just to put a pin in this, for those who are not familiar, how did the PGA Tour react to that list of guys who all said, I would like to cash in on this enterprise? The PGA Tour sent what can only be described as angry letter to um, the world and said that all of those players were suspended. They did not say whether it was a lifetime suspension, which had been rumored, or a shorter suspension but that they were not allowed in the future to participate in any sort of PGA Tour event or any PGA Tour Champions event or, you know, take a sponsor's exemption into anything. And the commissioner mentioned money so many times, you almost wonder if the letter would have backfired. Some people would be like, well, yeah, there's a lot of money involved here. So what are you going to do for us? You know, loyalty is only going to keep us here for so long. Coming up. What happened when all of these players had to meet the press for the very first time? Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom! 
Añejo Tequila came in with the smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code DAILY. That's code DAILY. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. All right, Kevin. So we got to go back to the start of your week in London because the press conference that launched that event, the Live Golf event, it, it was almost way too on the nose because it was a thing about... <laughs> political theater in many ways and who in fact showed up out of nowhere it seems like to moderate this press conference that would be former white house press secretary ari fleischer who uh had no one had any indication that he was going to get uh show up and run this show and there he was uh and people when i tweeted this very sincerely people thought that i was making a joke that this was some sort of live golf mad libs of what i thought <laughs> that you were doing live golf mad libs honestly when I, I first saw you tweet that throughout the my coverage of the event i had to repeatedly add the qualifier this is not a joke because there were so many absurd things that kept popping up uh in the coverage of live golf yeah i mean some of the absurdity was just in the back and forth question and answer part of the proceedings like what what stuck out to you looking back on it now as Wow, this is this is exactly how this would have gone. Yeah, the the kind of inability to sell something that obviously is problematic, is difficult. I mean, these guys are not like character actors. There's no one here who's going to get a, a <laughs> an Oscar for their Wait, performance. You're saying Graham McDowell is not a best actor candidate? This has been incredibly polarizing. Um, you know, I think we all agree up here take the Khashoggi situation, we all agreed that that was reprehensible. No one's going to argue that fact. But we're golfers, you know, and I, I, you know, we, you know, speaking personally, I really feel like, you know, golf's a force of good in the world. I will say it's fun to be around the English press because they don't have the same sort of um, default politeness that some people in the uh, American press do. And so, we got questions like, you know, if Vladimir Putin put on a tournament, would you go and play there? If Vladimir Putin had a, a tournament, would, would you play there? That's speculation. I'm not even going to comment on speculation. So, just in a generality, is there any way you wouldn't play on a moral basis? If the money was right, is there any way you wouldn't play? I don't need to answer that question. And of course, that, you know, caught them quite uh, on their heels a little bit, because how do you answer that? Where is the slippery slope between Vladimir Putin and MBS, Mohammed bin Salman? I don't know that I would no, want to define that. 
No, I mean, it, it, it's like they wandered. They thought they were entering a golf press conference and they found themselves in like a moral reasoning course. Like, yeah, this is all, by the way, and, and this is stuff that all of us, anytime you talk about sports washing, Kevin, like inevitably everybody has to do their own moral accounting, right? Like to what extent are any of us involved in the tangled web of moral compromise, right? Whether it's the NBA in China, whether it's Apple and iPhones, whether it's, you know, Newcastle and Saudi-backed money in the English Premier League in, in soccer, right? Yeah, and the way that I keep thinking about this uh, is that, you know, people say, I'm not a politician, I'm not a politician. You're not, you know, probably not a politician, but are you a human being? What responsibility do you have as a human being to investigate the things around you and then make moral choices of that. And to those sort of what about people who I have been tangling a lot with uh, in the coverage of this, this is not going on your iPhone, which might have some parts made in China. This is not, you know, sending a package through FedEx, which might have Saudi investment as being part of it. This is directly working for the government of Saudi Arabia to clean its reputation globally because of some of the horrible things that they have done. There are moral degrees and you have to choose where you are on it, but those things are not equal. There are different degrees in the moral universe. So it's not the same you're saying as, hey, I drive a car that runs on gasoline, <laughs> which is oil from Saudi Arabia. That to you, that does not actually all add up in the wash. No, and the, to anyone who thinks like, why are you not asking these other questions? Because I cover golf. This is my area of the, yeah, the how world. Dare you, how <laughs> dare you not question President Biden on his approach yeah. to Saudi Arabia as a matter of political diplomacy. I can only control the the small window of the universe that I am tasked with doing, and this is part of it, and I feel a moral responsibility to ask these questions. I hope that other people are asking questions about the NBA, about China, about President Biden going to Saudi Arabia, about yes. things in Yemen, but this is my corner of the universe, and this is why I'm asking those questions. Yeah, and in response to those questions, it did not seem like anyone wound up winning the press conference, so to speak, with their answers. For sure. I mean, the questions were asked. They were they gave the answers that they gave. I think some of them probably felt at the time like they were great answers, like they did the best they could with their media training. And maybe they still felt that after seeing some of the reaction, but it didn't really play uh, the way that I think that they hoped it would uh, at home. And yet... Once the golf tournament started, it became less about their clumsy answers and more about like, wait, this is what this is all about? This golf tournament of there where no one seems to really be all that into it? Yeah, it sounded like they were quite literally having to like go give away tickets. They said the ticket prices, I think, probably too high early on. And they were pretty worried about the number of people who were coming or not coming. And so they quickly had all their players tweeting out uh, codes where you, if you put the codes in, the tickets were free. It, you know, it's, they didn't want to advertise that they were free, but anyone who had a code, and if you didn't have a code, you didn't know how to use the internet, could get into the event for free. But as for the actual journalists who were there and the journalism part of this, that did sort of come to the fore at one point because it didn't seem like they loved all of the people, let alone the questions who were in attendance. No, uh, you could see them sort of calculating each time they, they ask you to please say your name, which is a common price conference thing, but and where you were from so they could kind of calculate who was asking what questions and, and they had, you had to track yourself everywhere you went with a badge and whatnot. But, you know, in Phil's first initial press conference after the, uh, when he, after he'd played for the first day, 
Alan Shipnuck, who wrote the biography of Phil, was there and tried to kind of get in and ask a question. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, two security goons kind of basically pretended that it was just too crowded in the press conference and he needed to be you know, pushed away. And oh, no, he, they weren't kicking him out. They were just making sure that he was held back and, and didn't ask a question. And Alan, to his credit, uh, diffused it and kept it cool and sort of said to Greg Norman, who's the CEO of this Live Golf, you know, did you know that I was kicked out of this? And and Greg said, oh no, I didn't at all, sorry. And then someone had shown Alan a video later that Greg was standing right behind him during this whole exchange. No, I, yeah, this part, the text exchange by Alan Shipnuck, him screenshotting it, it, it is one of the richest like pieces of sports accidental art that I've ever seen. He's right there. Greg Norman is right, it's like inches seemingly behind the scene that Alan is asking him, did you know was happening? It was one of those moments in sports that comes along every few years where you're like, there's no way this can possibly be real. Like, that, uh, you know, <laughs> even after, like, we were looking at it over in the media center, we just couldn't stop shaking our heads. Like, how did, did this actually unfold the way that it exactly did? Because this is, this is comedy. <laughs> And again, like the circus atmosphere, it, it, did, it did provide this like parallel sort of bizarro world for you, right? Because some of the critics that you were speaking to, not just the, the, uh, the activists that you referenced before, but some of the other people who, had a, who felt like they had a real stake in this story, they wanted to make clear what they thought. And they had a very, very clear perspective on this. Yeah, I spoke to Terry Strada, who's the head of the 9-11 uh, Families United uh, group, who is still in an active lawsuit against the government of Saudi Arabia. And she didn't find any of this to be particularly funny. She was really kind of disgusted by the whole thing. She was having a hard time sort of deciding how much to kind of even follow some of the press conferences and stuff. Certainly doesn't wouldn't want to follow the golf. You know, they wrote a letter to the American golfers like DJ and... Bryson and Kevin Na and Phil, it basically said, we feel like you sold us out, like you betrayed us. You are taking enormous sums from Saudi Arabia when they will not uh, square this lawsuit that we've had going against them, fighting it tooth and nail for their alleged involvement in the 9-11 uh, terrorist attacks. And she's pretty adamant about there's, you know, more and more evidence that has been declassified in recent years that shows that not only, you know, were they sort of funded, but they were trained by people who were involved in the Saudi Arabian government. And so she just wanted me to make it clear, like, her family loves golf. Her husband, who, who died in the collapse of the North Tower, he wanted to be a pro golfer before he decided to go on Wall Street. You know, he and his, their son, who's a left-hander, was a Phil Mickelson fan. It was the captain of his golf team. Mm. And all of that made it sort of sting and hurt that much more. And so Phil has... You know, been asked this question a couple times now about how what do you have to say and all you can really come up with is you know i have tremendous empathy for you i would say to um the strata family i would say to everyone that um has lost loved ones lost friends in 9-11 that i have deep deep empathy for them um i i can't emphasize that enough i i um have the deepest of th sympathy and empathy for them. And so would you say that this pressure had any effect on the way that this dynamic is unfolding? You know, I think uh, golf has always sort of tried to 
sell itself as one of the most patriotic sports. The people involved in golf were very uh, adamant speaking out against Colin Kaepernick and saying that would never happen. And so I think it was a fair question to turn around some of the 9-11 stuff uh, at them and sort of ask, you know, doesn't this make you feel differently about this at all? And they don't really have a good answer. I would say it's not going to deter them that much because none of them seem to really, you know, have any interest in addressing it. And they just kind of, you know, offer platitudes and move on. Yeah, look, I don't want to cast Jay Monahan, the commissioner of the PGA here, as some sort of moral crusader in any way, to be clear. No. But it does feel like what he has decided to harp on is the aspect of shame, mm-hmm. right? Like he was on CBS on Sunday at the PGA Tour event that Rory McIlroy won this past week in the RBS Canadian Open, and he said... You know, any player that has left or any player that would ever consider leaving... Have you ever had to apologize for being a member of the PGA Tour? That was the question that he wanted all of the people who defected, essentially, to contemplate. So if you're Jay Monahan, KVV, where do you think your sort of approach goes from here? I think shame is only going to work for you for so long. You have to be able to come up with money. you got to find different ways to reward the players for what they believe their value is, uh, and yes, it's probably unfair that you're in competition with a superpower that has no spending limits, that doesn't have to ever balance its books. They can just spend in the arm race for golf forever. Shame might work on a Rory McIlroy because Rory McIlroy has a moral conscience, but not every golfer feels the same way. Not every golfer is willing to sort of make that distinction. And I don't think the PGA Tour is going to win the argument if all they have is shame. Because golf is not a sport that historically, and this includes the PGA Tour, has been particularly inclusive to a lot of people. They have a lot to answer for in terms of their own shame. And so playing that card, I don't think is going to be any kind of enduring thing. Golf was really the last sport in America to integrate. Long after Jackie Robinson was retired, Uh, African-Americans were still not allowed to be members of the PGA Tour. So shame isn't going to win this argument for you. you got to come up with uh, something better than that, and that probably means money. Yeah, I mean, look, there is a glass houses aspect to this, right? There is the sense of, okay, all of us are hypocritical to some degree. As you explained before, the degrees actually do matter quite a bit when it comes to doing the moral accounting here. But in the meantime, it does feel like Rory McIlroy, who has a moral conscience, as you referred to, he also has um, at least one petty bone in his body. Because Greg Norman, for the record here, the Live Golf CEO, has 20 PGA career victories. And Rory wanted all of us to know specifically how many he had now in comparison. And this is a day I'll remember for a long, long time. Uh, 21st PGA Tour win. Uh, one more than someone else. Uh, that gave me a little bit of extra incentive today, and I'm um, happy to get it done. Rory and Greg Norman have never particularly uh, seen eye to eye. Greg Norman has said that Rory's being brainwashed by the powers that be in sports. Rory was really one of the biggest um, targets in all this live stuff. There's rumors, and I don't know if this is really true, but that they offered him something like $400 million to come because of he would be the Pied Piper if he came. Uh, And he just all the time said, you know what? 
I have a really nice house and I only really go in three, four rooms of it. I don't know what three, four hundred more dollars is going to do. It isn't going to make me want to visit like an even bigger house. And I think there's only so many athletes out there who are like Rory. And so Rory definitely decided to kind of twist the knife a little bit after winning. And, and this amazing scene uh, in you know Canada where it's one of the oldest tournaments on the PGA Tour. It was really kind of a, an organic, lively competition between two of the best golfers in the world and he and Justin Thomas and, and also Tony Finau. And so it was kind of a really funny moment. It was like, I'm not sure that you're winning the war here, but you sort of won the day with that little jab at Greg Norman. So Kevin, at the end here, as we're all of this very clear understanding that the actual mission of the Live Golf experiment is to burnish, to improve the perception of Saudi Arabia and its government, I guess we should just ask, do you think it's working? Like, does it feel like it's accomplishing its goal? The sad answer is, Pablo, I think it probably is working. I think it's already worked uh, with horse racing, with Formula One, with WWE, uh, with them owning pieces of Newcastle United. And now it's turned to golf. And I don't know what the answer is, if there's any sort of way to kind of push back against it. I hope people at least uh, are looking at this with open eyes. Um, but, you know, when the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia bought a Premier League team, I think that was sort of a crossing of the Rubicon moment. And the British government was working behind the scenes to try to maybe prevent it from happening and couldn't. And once that happened, you know, Newcastle fans, you know, soccer is so important, not only to England, but to the world. Once that happened, Newcastle fans didn't abandon the team the same way that, you know, Chelsea fans didn't stop being Chelsea fans when a Russian oligarch bought the controlling interest there. And I think that that's why, like, sports and politics is, is always so intertwined in so many ways is because there are these moments when people have to choose between their sports teams and their, you know, moral conscience, and they almost always choose their sports teams. And that's mm. kind of a hard thing to sort of swallow in some ways, but that's the reality of the world is that sports and politics are so intertwined that some people just end up kind of feeling more invested in the sporting side of it. Kevin von Valkenberg, thank you for examining our consciences and reporting the story. Thank you, Pablo. Appreciate you having me. I'm Pablo Torre, and this has been ESPN Daily. I'll talk to you tomorrow. <laughs>